Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Welcome to the Invest Stories Podcast with me, John Cooper. And uh, yeah, Kyle's still on his travels, but he'll be back uh, on the next episode. Um, really excited to to speak to you today. Uh, we have a great guest, Bernie Lund. Bernie is a syndicator. Uh, he's been doing it for a few years, um, and he's really followed that journey to financial freedom. And um, what's interesting about Bernie is he's working towards uh, not quitting his job, but um, enhancing kind of what he earns and actually what he can give back to the community. Uh, through investing so his story is really is it's quite unique and it's one of kind of giving and serving and um, asking what can you do and how can um, investing in, empower you to to be able to do what you do so uh, super excited to have that conversation as always please do give us a uh, give us a five-star review give us a, uh, a shout out um, you can always email us at investoriespodcast at gmail.com uh, on Instagram, we're Investories Pod, uh, and you can always follow us and, and get in touch and say hi and all that good stuff. And um, without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to Investories, Bernie Lund. Hey, Bernie. Hey, John. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am doing well. Can't believe it's already May of 2023. It's pretty wild. I know. Where is the year going? <laughs> I know. So. I said that to my wife. I said, this year's just flying by and I haven't achieved anything. And then she listed out all the things I'd achieved. I was like, well, that was that was in the past. I'm talking about right now. So it, It's nice to have a supportive wife, let me tell you. There you go. Yeah. Push things forward, right? That's that's. Uh, I guess that's the kind of mantra I, I try and uh, live, live and breathe. Anyway, um, so Bernie, you're um, managing member of Forge Equity Group, right? That's correct. Um, so we're going to get into that. I want to find out about Forge. I want to find out about what you're doing, um, all that good stuff. But first, I want to kind of get your your background, what you're doing now, but also kind of where you've where you've come from and, and kind of the, the why of real estate. Well, that's a long, long story, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, I didn't even dip my toes into the water of real estate until I was 40 years old. And so... Um, I'm sure there's lots of people out there that were in my shoes and in my head, I think I always thought real estate was for, you know, rich people. And so, uh, and I was never rich, um, still not there, <laughs> but I, I just never, uh, done anything with it at all. And, uh, ran into a friend, uh, my wife and I had, uh, some friends, uh, through the, through our church and they got into, buy and hold uh, rental properties. And they were doing it in Tennessee, which is the price points uh, then, even now, but especially then were really low. And we were just kind of stunned. We're like, wow, we, we might be able to do something like this. And, you know, I think um, God had kind of just worked things out in our life to bring us to that point. We were already feeling the need to invest and do something uh, to get our money working for us because, it was always next year, next year, next year, next year. And after 15 years, it's like, you know, we got to do something. We now have two or three kids. We uh, are approaching the fourth floor of life, you know, the 40s, and we have to take action. And that kind of led to it. And in 
conjunction with that, just taking care of our family and preparing for retirement one day in the future, uh, we also wanted to be very generous um, to give to the cause of Christ and be generous to people in our life. And we were not really able to do that because uh, of funds. And so um, for all those reasons, they all kind of just happened all at once, um, perfect storm type of thing. And we said, you know what, we got to jump into some type of investment. And at that time, real estate uh, was just in the forefront. That that's incredible. I love the reasoning there, like the the giving back, and um, the the sense of kind of a a, a bigger purpose or, or kind of a sense of investing in that community aspect is is really interesting. And I I for one I had that initial journey, and it sounds like similar kind of time frames really, mm-hmm. where I I was focused on a number. I want to earn this much a month. I want to, and then. Over the last couple of years and through education coaching, I've pivoted. I want to add value to people. I want to contribute to communities. I want to make money. Sure. But those <laughs> things can coexist. That's really interesting. Did you have to kind of go through that process to to kind of marry up those those different um, kind of viewpoints? Um, I think uh, at some level, I never had a number in my head. I never said I want to earn so much money per month or per year. Uh, honestly, we were just, uh, we had been giving a lot uh, through our church um, and mm-hmm. to the cause of missions worldwide as well as local ministry. Uh, and we realized that uh, as we kept increasing that number each year, that we were going to hit a point at which we either had to stop increasing or uh, we had to find some way to make more money. And then also in the back of our heads was the idea that, you know what, we can't just be living paycheck to paycheck or month to month. At some point, we need to be in to take care of our family finances uh, so that we're not a burden uh, on our church or on our family uh, in the later years of our life. And so, um, yeah, it was kind of emerging of the two. And, you know, I always have to come back to center. Uh, I, I like to say I'm as greedy as the next guy. Uh, the love of money is an allure that you have to fight. Uh, and the best way to fight that is to give. And so periodically, I just kind of have to come back to center and say, you know, uh, it doesn't really matter how much money I have. Uh, if you haven't been able to tell already, I'm obviously um, – I, I believe in God and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that kind of guides uh, my life and what I do. And Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And so at the end of the day, money is just a tool. Uh, I enjoy using it, uh, believe me, especially when it comes to food, but um, it's not the end all be all. There has to be, like you said, a greater purpose. Bernie, and I, I think what's really interesting in that that shines through for me. And I'm thinking back to a friend of mine who did extremely well for himself. Mm -hmm. And you know, that, that six figures a month, I think he got up to, but was miserable because his lifestyle was just eroded into, into kind of nothing. It was just work. And, um, he actually then kind of dialed all that back and, 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 you know, significantly decreased his earnings to get the life he wanted and sure. that, you know, there's, there's always that kind of rich person that says it's not all about the money, but that it, it, it is kind of right. It's, it's kind of OK to say it's not about the money. There's there's something more that's uh, super interesting in terms of the, then the educational piece. So how did you kind of get educated, get up to speed on on kind of the investing and the money side of things? 
Sure. Um, I think um, we were very similar to a lot of people at the beginning. We had some time and some willingness to invest uh, energy into learning and no money. And so I did everything I could that was free. I reached out to my friends uh, that I told you about. My wife and I really, we had a couple meetings with them, kind of learned how they were doing it and just decided to try copycatting and it worked. We ended up getting three or four uh, rental homes in the Southeast, in Georgia actually. And, um, but I began to consume podcasts and I first was introduced to bigger pockets and, you know, one thing leads to another, you get virtual connections, uh, with people. And I really got hooked on, uh, my mentor, my, my current mentor mentorship program, Michael Block. And I really, uh, kind of latched onto him and his messaging. And I tried to copy everything, learn everything I could again for free. Uh, but I reached a point when I was starting to talk to brokers and we were talking about deals, you know, in the $700,000 million range, which for some people is nothing. Uh, but for me at the time, uh, a $100 swing in our monthly budget was a big deal. And so to talk about those kind of numbers was is getting a little bit scary. Um, and I realized that, you know, I got one shot to do this right or I'm going to put my family behind by a decade. And so uh, financially, and so uh, eventually the other investments uh, really paid off. We were able to refinance, do a cash out refinance. They had appreciated in six months enough that we pulled all of our original investment out. So we had a little bit of capital to work with and we used a chunk of that capital to actually pay for the mentorship program with Michael Block and learned how to syndicate apartment complexes. And that was really the journey, we kind of went from single family home to uh, commercial multifamily and the education was free and everything I get my hands on at first and eventually we actually paid for, um, I guess you would call personal growth education. That, that's such a good tip. I, I kind of was quick to jump to paying for education mm -hmm. and then I realized, you know, just, just going on YouTube and googling something and finding the experts and kind of consuming their content sure. there's a lot of great content out there and then also there's a ton of good books and you said bigger pockets you know pretty much everything they publish is is worth reading if you're interested in that field right yep no i agree um, so go ahead no go for it uh i i was just gonna say that you know there's tons and tons of books out there and i think what happens if you are interested in, in this field or in any field, uh, you find those voices that kind of resonate with you. And I would just dive deep into that. Like I wouldn't fight too hard to like push through a book you hate or a podcast you don't enjoy. Find the ones that resonate with you that you enjoy and, you know, just kind of dive deep. And that's, that's what I did. And it seems to be working out. <laughs> that's always good. How did you find your your mentor? Was it was it through that kind of process, or was there a conscious decision of I need a mentor? I'm going to go and kind of interview mentors. Um, no, it was not conscious at first. Um, I think as you grow in any field, but let's talk you know real estate for right now. You you kind of learn those voices again that appeal to you and resonate with you uh, that make you feel empowered like you can do it you know we've all heard those podcasts or read those books where you just feel like it's impossible I'll never succeed um, and I don't I kind of let those go because it doesn't help me and I find those uh, podcasts and, and messaging that empowers me 
And so um, I think I would say my mentor or mentors actually were present without me knowing it. I just kept going back to um, those podcasts, those books, the, that information. And eventually, excuse me, <clears throat> eventually I was pitched to actually um, look for uh, formal mentorship. And at that point, it was like, okay, I need, I see, I need an actual person that I engage to help me through this process. And so when we signed up for uh, that program, uh, we got an official mentor. He's been great. Uh, he's his friend today. Uh, we haven't officially done mentorship for probably two or three years, uh, but I still consider him uh, my mentor and my coach. I call him with, you know, big problems. Uh, we share what we're doing in the real estate space, and I'd love – I, I actually work with him on one of my deals, and I would love to do more in the future. That's so cool, isn't it? When a, when a mentor does deals with you, that's like when you know they're not some internet personality just pumping out content, which uh, is, is always interesting when you get to that point of like, oh, they're going to co-invest? Sweet. There's, there's putting belief in you. Yeah. No, it – and honestly, I'd say that was probably the biggest thing, uh, the biggest positive about my mentorship uh, is that my coach, his name is Drew Whitson. Uh, he's with Endurance Capital. Uh, he also works, uh, well, through the Michael Blanc programs, but he um, he believed in me and he proved it when he when I asked him to be a part of my deal. He said yes. He came in as the, as the KP uh, and then let, he let me and my partners who were all newbies he let us run the syndication and learn on the job. Wow. Uh, he was there kind of to oversee and to watch. Uh, but by and large, he just turned us loose and uh, it's been a great partnership. That's incredible. Yeah, I love that. That's that's true mentorship. That's true, like helping your student grow by uh, by working with them and letting them run, but not run too far, I guess, is, is probably the, the analogy. Yeah. Um, in terms of your in terms of your faith and in terms of kind of that area of of, of kind of who you are is there kind of lessons or, or kind of an overlay of, of, of how that's helped guide you kind of through the real estate process I would say 100% um, I, I appreciate you by the way uh, inviting me to be on your podcast uh, I, I'm very thankful and grateful for that and for this opportunity um, but I feel kind of like it's not fair sometimes uh, to present myself as someone who has done well or succeeded in some way because uh, I feel like God's been on my side and so it's kind of not fair it's, you know I have uh, <laughs> I have you know God helping me and you know I guess uh, I feel it's not like all of myself I, I'm fumbling for my words a little bit um, I guess I feel that I have an advantage and it I, I believe that totally my faith uh, in God has guided me every step of this uh, this journey. Uh, number one, getting into it in the first place. And then number two, just helping me make wise decisions and seek out good counsel uh, and not get into major trouble. Um, there's really nothing different about me than anyone else. Um, there are operators and people that have failed miserably. Uh, even some of the greatest successful people in the world, you look at the inventors, Thomas Edison, Samuel Morse, other guys, uh, they failed and failed and failed and failed before they succeeded. And I've had the privilege of not failing too badly in this journey. And I believe that the, the vast majority of the reason for that is that uh, God's been with me. And not because I'm a special person, 
Uh, I'm an average person, uh, but I really did from the very beginning just say, hey, I'm doing this for the good of my family and for the good of the kingdom of God. And if he wants it to succeed, then I need his help. And he's been helping. So. Love that. No, and, and nothing wrong with humility, right? That that keeps us all grounded and um, and kind of on the straight and narrow, right? So that's that's totally, totally makes sense. So in terms of um, your work outside real estate, uh, so you work, are you W2 employed or is it more? I am. A uh, gig or? No, no, I'm, I'm W2 employed. Um, I'm actually uh, one of the assistant pastors at my church. Um, I've been at this church as a member for about 20 years. Uh, I came to San Diego when I was 25 years old and uh, found the church pretty quick, ended up doing some other things before I came on staff in 2013. So I've been on staff uh, now for over 10 years on paid staff. And that's my calling. Uh, that's my W-2. Uh, a lot of people say that they're working to quit their job. Uh, I'm never going to do that. That's not my goal. My goal actually is to just do real estate on the side. Uh, I do enjoy it. Uh, and uh, hopefully I will make uh, money uh, for my family, for the kingdom. Uh, and it's been a great learning experience. But I'm, I'm not trying to quit my job. And that's, I don't, I don't know too many people that are like that. Yeah, I'm I'm in that camp as well. I'm not immediately trying to quit my job. Maybe maybe five ten years when, uh, when I'm in that position where I I feel like I can and I want the option to step away and and do something else and and sure. probably something with a with a focus on community. In terms of managing that time, then so I, I work from home. I'm super lucky. Uh, I get to balance my own diary and uh, my own calendar and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. In terms of managing your time, how what does that look like? How do you make time for real estate? Um, I would say that it just involves a lot of discipline, which to be honest, I struggle with. And so, um, I didn't have good work life balance before real estate. (laughs) Um, and so when I threw real estate on top of it and my wife and I have three kids, uh, now they're seven, five and three. So we have a very young family. Uh, so there's a lot going on in our lives and it's just kind of a continual struggle. Um, For right now, I'd say the snapshot of my real estate uh, life is that I devote about 10 to 12 hours a week on a good week to real estate uh, in certain windows. And they just have to be scheduled. And that's what I do in those windows. And outside of those windows, I don't do real estate. And um, the only difference I would say is at the very beginning on uh, when you're acquiring a deal, my first deal especially, uh, you just kind of put in the work at all times. You stay up late, you get up early, you do what you have to do to get the job done. And now, uh, after two syndications that are are still ongoing and looking to acquire a third, I realized that the only way to manage this and keep my sanity and keep my wife's sanity and do well uh, at my calling, which is ministry, um, I have to be disciplined with my schedule. And so the short answer is uh, you just have to Decide how much time you're going to spend and make sure that those times are inviolable in your schedule. Absolutely. And I, I've I've taken this year, my theme of this year is quality time. Mm-hmm. So like not just pockets of time, but pockets of time where I can focus. Yes. And, you know, an hour's focus rather than three hours of, oh, I've got something else going on and then I've got to go and do this and all that stuff. Just just carving out those pockets. I use um, yes. I use Google Sheets, actually. 
to just basically time block my day. And it's, it's been brilliant. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I've gone to a digital calendar in basically for the last year. And it's the only way I can keep track of all my appointments and make sure that I schedule a proper time for asset management and acquisition and business development, lead generation, all that stuff. Amazing. So let's talk about that first uh, first deal you made. So w- what did that look like? Was it, I, I, you know, we've, we've discussed it was slightly uh, terrifying or at least apprehensive. Um, what did what did the kind of mechanics of the deal look like? Did you, you put 20 down or 20% down? Or? Well, let's, uh, let's talk philosophy for just a couple of seconds. Um, it was terrifying. And even halfway through the acquisition process with my mentor, I don't know that I still I, I had believed in in multifamily and in syndication at that point. Um, there was a part of me that I think still felt like this is too good to be true. This has got to be a, a scheme. I'm going to get, you know, lose my shirt on this deal. Um, and my, my mentor, we laugh about it now. I was, I was afraid of partnership. Uh, I would, I had no money, you know, my wife and I didn't have very much money to, to put down. We barely were able to put the risk capital together. Um, and so, Philosophically, it was a it was a big deal. Uh, now now I look back, I'm like, man, what was I thinking? You know, but you don't know what you don't know. Um, the mechanics of the deal, actually, you know, the nuts and bolts of it. I we ended up putting 35 percent down. Um, so syndication, I, I'm not sure how much your audience knows about syndication, but basically we pool together a large number of investors um, to put that put together the down payment. And any renovation costs, um, if it's not wrapped up into uh, the loan package and closing costs and, th- and things like that. And so uh, this was a $1.4 million deal and we put 35% down. That was the loan terms we got. So a little bit higher than, than normal, but it allows us to get a great interest rate and um, great uh, interest only payments for the first five years. Um, and then the rest of the money we raised from investors. And so me and my two, two of my other three partners, we each raised a quarter million dollars. Uh, my other partners actually raised about 300,000 a piece. And so we raised $845,000, uh, for a $1.4 million deal. And that was because it is an agency loan. So it wasn't a bridge loan and we couldn't package the renovation into the loan, we actually had to raise that money up front. And so, um, anything I'm missing that you're interested in? So the in? loan was 35%? Yes. Yeah. So was the loan 35? Okay. Got it. Great. Yeah. So, That's interesting. um, like a typical residential loan, you could probably put down 20, 25%. Um, this is the commercial yep. world. And so it's a little bit different. Uh, the leverage is, um, not always as big, and if it is big, then you have to be very careful uh, what kind of loan you're getting into uh, because you could get into trouble. And and so we we did it very safely. Uh, my mentor guided us in that. It's an agency loan, which means uh, this one was a Fannie Mae loan. And uh, the terms are really great. And we're still in that syndication today. And a lot of people are struggling in today's lending environment. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just coasting along. We've got another two and a half years of interest-only payments um, no reason for us to exit unless we find a great buyer or uh, some other some other opportunity. 
Yeah, and all the while building equity, right? On appreciation, and I guess then saving saving the profits to uh, to reinvest if you need to. And uh, yeah, cash flows uh, well, and we've been doing investor distributions along the way, and so uh, yeah, it's a. I say now it's a great little property. Back then it was a gigantic deal, uh, but now it's uh, a little bit on the small side. <laughs> It's that scale piece, right? Yeah. Once you've done a couple of those, then it's uh, it's small fry. In terms of the in terms of the return on investment or the or the kind of cash return, what did, what was that looking like? And kind of what's what does it look like today? It, it's been a while since I've looked at our original numbers, but we're still on track. Um, I think right. it was sixteen to twenty percent IRR, uh, which is internal rate of return, uh, which is basically your returns that have been adjusted for how much time uh, the deal takes. And we projected three to five years. Um, the cash on cash return uh, is 7% uh, averaged out. All of these are averages. And so the way a lot of syndications work is that you don't see a lot of money at the on the front side. The big payoff comes at the end when you exit the property and capitalize on the forced appreciation. Um, any cash along the way is great. Uh, but you really take your returns averages uh, at the end when you when you exit the property. So, so let, let's talk about that forced appreciation because uh, people listening might not know what that means. Is the, is there been a value add play to this uh, to the property, or is is there a, another way you're forcing appreciation? Hundred uh, percent, it's part of our business plan, and there are lots of. There are a hundred million ways to skin the cat in real estate and even in syndication. Uh, I prefer to go for uh, B or C class properties um, and preferably B um, that are value add, meaning that if you put in some work and probably some money, then you can raise the value of the property. And uh, for your your listeners, maybe they're real, you know, experienced in real estate, but you know, residential homes, they don't appreciate the same way that commercial does. Commercial is all about the income, about the bottom line, the net operating income. And so if you can increase your net operating income at a property by either raising the income or lowering the expenses, automatically you increase the value, the valuation of your property. And so, um, yeah, we we renovated units. We've renovated, I think, as many as we could. The other ones keep renewing at, at higher rates without us having to go in and renovate, which we appreciate. <laughs> uh, and that's just adding to the overall valuation of the property. I didn't ask you, what, what is the property? It's a, I, is it one building, multifamily? How many units? Uh, the, my first deal is 29 units. And so it was kind of a weird one. It was actually 28 apartments and one single family home right next door. And somehow it was all packaged together. Uh, so I just say 29 units and, um, yeah, it's in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, one of my favorite places, uh, my, all my, uh, activity on my operations for now is in Augusta, Georgia. And did you, so one of the questions I always like to find out is, did you visit the property or did you do it all arm's length? No, I, I visited and uh, I visited during due diligence and then I visited um, 
a few months after the property, uh, after we had closed on the property, just to make sure things were kind of going the right direction. And then um, maybe once a year, which is probably not enough, but once a year, one of the partners uh, will go visit the property. We're usually in town for for that or for other reasons. And all my partners I was say, are for golfing. Yeah, I'm not a golfer, but uh, my partners do okay. enjoy golf. Um, yeah, one of my one of my partners, his email address is uh, Seven Iron Capital. That's his company, uh, and so he <laughs> that's a great name. He's definitely a uh, a golfer, but yeah, my one partner's in Houston area, one partner's in Minneapolis, and another one in uh, Minneapolis area, and I'm here in San Diego, California. So, and we bought in Augusta, Georgia. So it's kind of a a weird mix uh, that brought us all together, but uh, it's it's worked great, and I've really enjoyed the journey. So, talk to me about how you found those partners. Yeah, um, we we were all um, in the mentorship program uh, with Michael Block, and we all actually had the same coach or the same mentor. And uh, we didn't start out that way. Uh, when I was looking at this deal, I probably uh, reached out to three or four different individuals or groups to partner with. And, um, my mentor kind of guided me in that process. And towards the end, none of those worked out. And he said, you know what, I got a couple other students just like you, um, that are looking to do their first deal. Uh, I think you would be a great fit, uh, just your, uh, your attitudes and your personalities. Why don't we set up a zoom call and meet and talk it through. And we met and we were all eager to do it. And we didn't know much about each other, but, uh, we said, you know what, this is a three or f- three to five year partnership. Uh, if things don't work out so well, then no worries. We don't have to partner again. Uh, but I really enjoyed working with those guys. Uh, Steve Chan, Seven Iron Capital, Justin Elliott with Elliott Multifamily, and then my mentor, Drew Whitson with Endurance Capital. Amazing. And that that is a testament to finding your finding your people, finding your tribe, finding people that are interested and motivated and want to do similar things is really important. And be, like you said, Bigger Pockets is a great resource. Bernie and I met at a um, meetup, and that's another great place to go and meet like-minded people. I love in-person stuff. Um, we bought our we did, we closed our first deal in the height of COVID, August of 2020, and uh, I've really missed uh, local meetups and things like that. So I'm glad that that's starting to uh, you know increase again and uh it's great to meet you slowly come back yeah (laughs) slowly yeah yeah. no it's it's so weird it's like you meet people in person i met i met a few people that i i know fairly well online it's like oh you're Mm. that tall okay that's interesting you know (laughs) sweet um in term in terms of fundraising what does that process look like can you talk me through that yes um i don't know how deeps to go so i'll just kind of do the overview um, basically for syndications, you can raise a couple of ways. You can either advertise and you have to be, uh, authorized to do that, uh, through your, your SEC documents, or, um, you can, um, do what's called a 506B offering and privately approach people, uh, one-on-one. And so I elected to go to the 506B and a lot of people do, just because you can have accredited investors, but you can also reach out to up to 35 non-accredited investors. And 
Um, as with most people, the first deal, capital raising, is really reaching out to friends and family, people you already know that are already in your network. Um, and a lot of people go on, they really try to build a platform or you know, do a website or do podcasts or do blogs or whatever. Um, and I've just really ended up, because of my time constraints and desires, <laughs> I have relied primarily on word of mouth. And my first deal, I had... Let's see, two, three friends uh, that invested with me, and then my partners kind of had their own networks. And in my second deal, I had about 20 uh, people that were probably, I don't know how you say, indirectly reached uh, through the people in my first deal. And so uh, it was, it's just organically growing, um, and I'm satisfied with that for now. And uh, yeah, it's just, you just got to be willing to talk to people and, um, find out if they're where they're at in, in their investment mindset and do a little bit of coaching, do a little bit of follow-up and, you know, stay consistent. Yeah. I, f I think that's really interesting because that's kind of where I see part of my real estate journey going. And I've been told, Oh yeah, you'd be really good at the fundraising. And it kind of asking people for money fills <laughs> me with terror. Is that, what's, what's, your, what's your tips for that? Well, uh, I'm not very good at that. I'm not a good salesman, period. And so uh, it's not really a good fit for me personally. doesn't mean that you can't learn to do it. Everybody can learn to do stuff. Um, I think the key, though, is really changing the mindset. And it's not asking people for money. It's providing people an opportunity to better their financial situation. And that, that is totally the truth. Um, to this day, I've got some, some family members that uh, seem to be somewhat resistant to investing with me. And I think it's because they don't, they think that they're going to uh, lose money or it's a Ponzi scheme or something like that. And I'm just telling them like, no, this is an opportunity for you to, let's just throw it out there, to, to double your money in three to five years. I get compensated for running the operation, yes. But we are all mutually going to benefit here. And so I think as you talk to people about investing, uh, it's not that you're trying to persuade them to do something against their will. Uh, we have a phrase in ministry. Uh, my boss, uh, my good friend and pastor says a lot. He says, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And you can't force people into doing something they don't want to do. Um, I think the key is helping them to understand that this is something they do want to do and could only benefit them. And the risks are actually very, very low uh, compared to many other types of investment. Multifamily syndication investment is a very safe, uh, very low risk investment with uh, high adjusted returns. And especially, and I, I know a little bit of, uh, I've done a course on, on commercial and syndication. Sure. And I've been to a couple of different events around um, commercial and kind of what, what shines through is that risk piece, especially now with kind of changes in the market, changes in rates. Mm -hmm. There's a fair few operators that were kind of flying a little bit close to the sun um, financially <laughs> that are now getting found out, right? Yeah, nice analogy there. Um, uh, Icarus, you know, flying close to the sun and uh, his, his wings melted. But uh, it was very easy to succeed in real estate. Uh, maybe a couple of years ago, pretty much anything anybody touched kind of turned to gold. And you're right. Um, 
you have to be careful. You have to vet uh, the operators and uh, you have to understand what's going on with your money. You have to be a wise investor. But uh, it is a little harder these days, and I've had some hard lessons uh, that I've had to learn, unfortunately, but uh, it's made me a better operator. And I can tell you this next syndication, we're actively looking right now, actively uh, putting in offers on different properties. And when we get one and we do another acquisition, uh, it's going to be great because we've learned so much um, over the years and through this difficult time. And what what do those lessons look like? In fact, let's start with what what's changed. Um, kind of, I guess, your approach uh, looking for deals, analyzing deals, and then the financing piece. What's changed in the last couple of years? Um, I think I've learned what's changed overall is I don't think there's a guarantee of success. You have to be careful in your underwriting assumptions uh, when you're looking at a deal to see whether it's a good deal or not there are always assumptions that are built into your models. And the big assumptions are, you know, cap rate and uh, vacancy, economic or physical, uh, your interest rate, your projections on rents. So some of those big assumptions you have to kind of dial in and make sure that your assumptions are grounded in in reality in some way. And um, as long as you're careful with that, um, multifamily is very forgiving and you can, uh, make some mistakes and still come out all right in the end. Uh, you just can't make too many, uh, and you can't make the big ones. And, um, so that's changed the underwriting, probably your underwriting requirements have changed. Obviously everybody knows about interest rates. Those have changed. Um, but more than interest rates, um, that's not such a big deal. You just plug in the interest rate in your model, and if the numbers work, the numbers work. If the numbers don't work, the numbers don't work. Don't do that deal. What's really the tricky part about uh, lending is understanding the other terms that are involved. Interest rate is only one component. Um, you have to think about your exit. You have to think about when am I going to exit do I have the ability to exit at the right time? Maybe the market changes and it's time to strike. Uh, is there going to be a penalty if I exit? And you have to think about those things. And so the conversation about uh, prepayment penalties, about uh, rate caps on your – that's what's killed a lot of people and is killing a lot of people lately is the lack of a rate cap for bridge loans. And – um, I learned that lesson the hard way. I'm learning that lesson the hard way. Uh, we're going to make it. Um, thankfully, we're in a better position than a lot of people. Uh, but I, I learned to be careful with what kind of debt I put on my property. So I could go on and on and on. But those are kind of the, the overviews. No, that's that's really, really interesting. In terms of looking at the kind of, I guess, the positives of the market. I don't know if that's the correct way to say it, really. Um are you seeing a decline in, in prices? Are you seeing people being more open to sensible numbers? Um, are you Is there a rule of thumb in terms of making offers at a lower price point? Um, I don't see that right now. The price points should be lower because the market doesn't support the higher price points. And believe me, I, I'm talking to myself as well as the holder of a couple properties that I want to sell. Uh, I understand like we all want our properties to be valued higher, um, but um, I'm not really seeing a huge decrease in price a little bit, but I would say that sellers are 
decreasing their prices, kicking and, and screaming. Like they don't want to. Uh, and so they're fighting to keep those prices high. So I guess in that sense, we have not yet seen a, a big market correction. Um, I think that, and if you listen to a lot of knowledgeable people, uh, the next couple of years is going to, uh, some of those operators maybe that are unmasked as not knowing what they're doing uh, or making poor decisions, uh, they're going to be forced to sell. And so that's the unfortunate part for them and their investors uh, is that we're going to see some of that type of correction. Um, but overall, I, I, I still feel that multifamily is doing pretty strong. Um, you know, there's a lot of gloom and doom about rents and rents are going to decrease or rents are not going to increase. It, I think it totally depends on your market. And if you know your market well, then you can succeed in your market. You just have to understand your market and you have to underwrite the deals accordingly and then put in offers when they make sense and just be patient. So don't, don't rush into anything. No, I, I like that a lot. In terms of markets, are you are you still focusing on kind of Augusta or are you wider across Georgia? Is there any other states you're looking at? Um, I, I'm open to pretty much anything in the southeast. Uh, I'm a big fan of the southeast, but I, I know people, I see people all the time doing deals everywhere, doing deals in Oklahoma, in Texas, in Michigan, uh, in Wisconsin, uh, in Arizona, uh, I mean, you name it, wherever there's people, there's people willing to do deals, uh, even in California, <laughs> here and there. And so, Surely uh, yeah, you'd be surprised. Um, I, I prefer the Southeast and I'm open to quite a few states, but I think that that um, way of thinking is a little bit too broad. Like uh, my mentor, one of the things he, he taught me is that every eight blocks uh, is a submarket, is a new submarket. And so even in a good market per se, like a good MSA, um, you'll have pockets that are really bad and you'll have pockets that are really great. And so you have to know not just your market, you have to know your submarket and you might even have to know your tertiary market. Um, you just have to know where you're buying and what's going on in that area. And I think to do that, you really have to stay closely connected to brokers and to uh, property managers in that in that submarket. Yeah, and I guess not being afraid to start making those connections is there. Did was there a route you took to kind of connect with brokers, and was it referrals or just going out and phoning as many as possible? What did, what did that look like? Um, honestly, I can't even remember. I think I I phoned a few. Uh, and then I found a few people that would respond to me and then I would just maintain those relationships and through my property manager, I guess I got some referrals, um, to different folks. And so you just never know what connection, um, one conversation, uh, one introduction could be a connection that, uh, has great potential in the future and you really just never know. So I would just encourage, uh, anybody to continue making those connections uh, and you never know uh, what's going to happen in the future. And so I, you just have to maintain some of those key connections. I, I guess coming back to brokers and property managers, um, I would definitely put them on a rotating uh, call list or email list and faithfully follow up and respond to them uh, over time. And as you build a relationship over time, uh, it becomes easier and easier and um, you know, things just begin to happen. 
And what, what I found is, and I'm, I'm kind of very much on the start of this journey. Um, so I, I have a short-term rental. I have a long-term rental in the UK, but I'm not a syndicator. I'm not a commercial investor yet. Sure. Um, and what I found is just being honest and upfront with people. Mm-hmm. Most people are happy to have a chat and then having like a, a strategy behind you and a team behind you. So, Hey, I'm working with these people. Uh, they have this many um, kind of units in, in management or ownership at the moment. And I'm looking to do this and I'm really interested in this. People are kind of open to it because you are a future customer potentially. Right. So if you phone up and keep phoning and saying, Hey, I think I like this, but I'm not sure, blah, blah, blah. But if you have your pitch down and your realistic kind of who I am and, it's mm-hmm. a fair representation then actually people want to keep in contact they're interested no i agree uh i agree with you just keep you just got to be consistent and uh sincere uh in your relationships you can't be a phony you if you're not knowledgeable about something then ask and say hey i'm ignorant about this will you teach me uh, I've had people mm-hmm. teach me about debt. I've had people teach me uh, about markets. I've had te- people teach me about um, the terminology in commercial real estate. And I think that's one reason that usually most people are willing to engage with you uh, from you know the newbies all the way up to the very in- experienced investors. Um, uh, I've emailed mm-hmm. uh, very briefly with uh, Neil Bawa. I've emailed uh, with Ellis Hammond of Kingdom REI. Uh, my mentor, uh, his program, Michael Blanc. Of course, my coach, Drew Whitson. Um, people are willing to engage with you. And I think in part, it's because everybody recognizes that they had help getting to where they are. And so yeah. um, nobody is a self-made man. We're all standing on the shoulders uh, of other people. And we have people that we owe a great debt to that have helped us to reach this point. Yeah. And we've, we've said it on the podcast before. I think it's, I feel like it's a secret club and everyone on the inside is like, yeah, come in, come in, come in. Let's talk about it. This is so cool. <laughs> and um, there's, there's kind of an abundance mentality that yes. it's not, this is my deal. I got to do this. It's kind of like sharing out and, uh, I kind of like that. I like the disruptive streak of that. Yeah, it's it's really neat. Um, I don't know about other industries, but I have found real estate to be very friendly and open for the most part. Uh, and, um, you know, just bringing it back full circle, uh, Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so actually, um, a lot of people find great pleasure in sharing their knowledge, sharing their experiences and helping the next person. And in that regard, Bernie, we thank you for for your time today. Um, I want to be mindful of it. What's the best way people can get in touch with you? Um, The best way, honestly, is to text me or call me. Um, My cell phone is 619-971-1279. I am a terrible emailer, but I'm trying to do better. And so you can also reach me at Bernie at ForgeEquityGroup.com. And I spell my name uniquely. Uh, it's B-U-R-N-I-E, Bernie at ForgeEquityGroup.com. Amazing. Yeah. And, um, you know, feel free to uh, to get in touch. We'll put all that information in the show notes. So if you're listening, driving and not quite sure how to do it, then uh, you don't have to go back. Just scroll to the show notes. And also give us a really good five-star review as well while you're there. For sure. That'd be awesome. Bernie, thank you. 
thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. And um, I got a lot out of it. Hopefully our listeners do as well. And hopefully they'll be in touch. That would be awesome. And I forgot to mention, you can also get a hold of me on LinkedIn. I uh, got to do some work on my profile there. Uh, hey, we're all learning, work in progress, Same. but you can find me there as well. And so, John, thank you so much for having yeah. me on. I uh, hope uh, I've been encouragement to you and to your listeners. Absolutely. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Investories podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.